I am uh, absolutely honored and delighted to be with you here this morning. Uh, Tyndale is very familiar territory for me. Uh, I have a son who spent one year here. And uh, I always uh, take this uh, challenge very seriously, uh, the opportunity to impact your life for the next 20 minutes uh, through the word of God. Now, uh, when we say Hebrews 11, I think uh, all of us know that's the chapter on faith. And uh, in one sense, uh, this is one chapter in the Bible that is uh, actually unfinished. And uh, what's exciting and intriguing is that uh, your name and my name uh, can be added to this chapter provided we live by faith. And uh, I'm going to read the first uh, six verses of uh, Hebrews 11. And if you have a copy of the Bible, uh, which is always a good thing to carry around with you wherever you go, and uh, uh, turn to it, and I'm going to uh, read the Word of God. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The Lord had his own blessings to the reading of his holy word. If there is a memory verse that I would like to give you, and by the way, I would really encourage you to memorize the word of God. The, the Muslim young people are, uh, are taught and told uh, to memorize entire chunks of the Quran, not in English, but in the original Arabic. And it's always an intriguing sight to see a teenager, a Muslim teenager, get up and quote chunks of the Quran from memory. So I want to encourage and challenge you uh, to, to memorize the word of God. And I know Dave is going to check you out on this, uh, Hebrews 11:6. And for those of you who do this, uh, memory work project, you will get a very expensive gift from the dollar shop. So uh, <laughs> if you get your meditation right, your memorization will be very easy. That's just a little tip uh, on how to memorize. Now, as I look at these six verses, there are three things that kind of uh, stand out to me. And the first thing is the character of faith. The character of faith. So talking about faith, we need to ask the most obvious question, what is faith? How do you define faith? And it needs to be said that faith is only as good as its object. So the amount of faith is not the issue. 
But the question that needs to be asked is, faith in whom or what? And the Lord Jesus said on one occasion that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, it will be mighty in its outworking. And uh, uh, so we uh, have faith, not in faith, but we have faith in the Lord God Almighty. So that's why 10 chapters of the book of Hebrews is dedicated to highlighting the greatness and the glory of the person of the Lord Jesus. And as you read the 10 chapters of Hebrews, and as you get excited about the person of the Lord Jesus, then according to chapter 11, exercising faith in such a wonderful person would become somewhat easy. In verse uh, 1, I don't know whether you caught those words, being sure of what we hope for, being certain of what we do not see. So in my Bible, I've underlined the words sure and certain. So faith is based on absolute certainties, but those are certainties that we can't see with our naked eye. They are invisible, but yet they are eternal realities. So we are sure and we are certain of these invisible eternal realities and we place our confidence and trust in those realities. So faith is not a blind leap in the dark. It is not faith in faith. I have met people like that. But uh, in faith, our mind is instructed by the truth of Scripture. That is why it's imperative to read the Word of God. That is why it's imperative to come for sessions like this and listen to the Word of God being expounded. So the mind is instructed and illumined by the Holy Spirit, and then the will is activated to engage. That's what faith is. Your mind has got to be informed, and your will has got to be activated. So if I were to give you a working definition of faith, uh, faith simply means taking God at his word, even when what God says doesn't seem to make too much sense. Taking God at his word is faith. Faith is confidence in the person of God and in the word of God. No doubts at all about the reality of God and no doubts about the fact that the Bible is the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God. But the definition I love the best is faith is taking risks for God. Faith is where you hear from God and you choose to heed that voice. So I've given you the most uh, simplistic definitions of faith, being mindful that we have these wonderful young people uh, from the People's Academy. So we looked at the character of faith. Now, secondly, we are going to look at the commendation of faith. For those of you who are budding preachers here, it's obvious you've got to be a three-point preacher, and it's obvious you've got to use alliteration. Otherwise, you won't cut it. Okay, so uh, I just want to say that, and I'm exemplifying it by what I'm saying today. Uh, commendation of faith. And again, as you read the Bible, there are some words that get repeated. And in the first six verses of Hebrews 11, the word commended is mentioned thrice. And in my Bible, I've underlined it in red the commendation of faith. 
And there are three groups who are commended for their faith in just these six verses. The ancients were commended for their faith, and I take by that to mean the patriarchs, uh, Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob. They were commended for their faith. And then Abel is singled out as a man who lived by faith. And then Enoch is also uh, singled out as a man who lived by faith. And they are all commended for their faith. They chose to believe God. They acted on what God said. And that was what they were commended for. In the face of incredible odds and in the face of unbelief, they dared to believe God and they dared to do what God had prescribed for them. And you know what happened at the end of the race? They received God's applause. They received God's well done. And they were amply and adequately rewarded for their faith. Folks, it's well worth living by faith because you will have God's applause at the end of the line. So the character of faith, the commendation of faith, and now the third truth that I want to highlight, the conduct of faith. The conduct of faith. You believe and you behave. You believe and you behave. And very interestingly, in the first six verses, three vital Christian doctrines are highlighted. The first one is uh, the doctrine of creation, verse 3. We believe God's account and order of creation as given to us in the Bible. I had a very interesting ministry opportunity that came my way. We have a very popular Tamil radio station here in the GTA, a potential listening audience of 300,000 right here in the GTA and over the web all across the states and uh, into Europe. And so uh, we were given one hour prime time Sunday night uh, on that radio station uh, to talk about faith issues. So Hinduism and Christianity and Islam were going to be compared and contrasted. And one of the first questions that was thrown to us was, how did God create this world? And while the Hindus stuttered and uh, they didn't have an adequate explanation, it was wonderful to be able to say authoritatively that God of the Bible created everything out of nothing. He created everything out of nothing simply by speaking his word. So the conduct of faith says, I believe God's account of creation. That God created this amazing, awe-inspiring universe simply by speaking his word. The power of God's creative word. Now, practically, what application does that have into your life and my life? You know, God created you, and he created you in his image. You know, that was one phrase that uh, the radio station latched on to, and they said, explain it, explain it, explain it. We haven't heard it before. The image of God. You're a bearer of God's image. And that gives you dignity and worth and uh, respect and awe. So don't let anyone fool you into believing that you're a piece of junk and garbage because 
You are a person of incredible worth and value and dignity in God's eyes because God created you. I've been doing uh, prison ministry for the past 12 years. And as I meet with these guys who have committed murder and you name the crime, and one of the first truths that I want to impress on their minds is this truth, that God created you and he created you in his image as a person of uh, dignity and uh, self-respect. Whenever I mention uh, prison ministry, a lot of people get excited and they come running to me and say, oh, I also want to come to the prison. So I have a screening process, a very simple screening process. I say I can take you in, but no guarantee I can take you out. <laughs> and folks, no takers. I hope you'll be different. Let's see. The second Christian doctrine that is highlighted uh, in these six verses is the doctrine of salvation. Not only the doctrine of creation, but the doctrine of salvation. And you may ask, how so? Where did you pick that one up? Abel. Abel was commended by the God of the Bible because he bought a blood sacrifice. The only way that a sinner could be reconciled to a thrice holy God is through the shedding of innocent blood. And Abel chose to believe it and Abel acted on it when he bought a blood sacrifice and God accepted that offering and he was commended for it. So beloved, today, the only way that a person can be reconciled to God is through blood sacrifice. And this again was a question that was uh, thrown to us over and over again uh, on the radio. How does one have a relationship with God? Because in Hinduism and Islam, it's impossible to have a relationship with God. And that's the good news of the Bible, isn't it? I uh, remember being introduced to a very uh, orthodox Hindu lady. And uh, uh, by the way, uh, when you talk to somebody from the West, uh, you have to go around the mulberry bush quite a few times uh, before you start talking about God. Anyone from my part of the world, the first question could be a faith-related issue, and there is no offense. And this lady looked at me, and she said, my faith is all mythology, how about yours? Man, the first statement. And so I looked at her and said, ma'am, I'm very sorry that your faith is all mythology, but uh, my faith is, is historical and eyewitness accounts of what happened. And then I proceeded to explain the gospel. I mean, you won't want to lose this golden opportunity, is it? And as I uh, started sharing the gospel, <laughs> I came to the point where I said, you know, God in Christ suffered on our behalf for all our sins. And she threw her hands up and she said, how can God suffer? <laughs> and then I said, this God not only suffered, but he died on the cross for all our sins. And I'll never forget her expression. She took her two hands, she put it on her ears and she shouted, how can God die? Two of the most brilliant questions that could be asked. She was a thinking lady. <laughs> How can God suffer? How can God die? Because in Hinduism, God is above suffering and God is above death. And that's the glory of the Christian gospel, isn't it? So we exercise faith in what the Lord Jesus did for us 2010 years ago on the cross when he became our savior, sacrifice, substitute. I personally believe no gospel presentation is complete if you don't use those three S words. Savior, 
sacrifice, substitute. Especially when you're talking to somebody from a Hindu or a Muslim background. Man, you've got to drill those three words. And if you don't, you are not doing uh, justice to uh, a gospel presentation. So you have the doctrine of creation, you have the doctrine of salvation, and then Enoch, he teaches us the doctrine of sanctification. You believe that you were created in God's image, you believe what the Lord did for you at the cross, <laughs> and then day by day you choose to live for this God. You say no to sin, and you say yes to him. And that is basically what uh, sanctification is all about. It's pleasing God. I teach my young people that at the end of each day, it's not limited to young people, it's for everyone really, the two P's come into operation. You either have pleased God or you have brought pain to God. You have either made God glad or you have grieved God. That is why in the Bible we are taught don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So how is it with you? At the end of a 24-hour period, what word would best describe how you lived that day? Did you please God by your words, your attitudes, your actions, your behavior, or did you dishonor him and bring him great grief? Very challenging truth. I asked that myself many, many times. So Enoch talks to us about the doctrine of sanctification. So, the character of faith, the commendation of faith, and the conduct of faith. Now, as I bring all this to a close, I want to apply it by using three words. And also in application, all good preachers use three words. And alliteration. And... Uh, the first uh, application is, do you have saving faith? Do you have saving faith? I wish I could say this morning with confidence that all of you seated here have a personal relationship with God, but I know that would not be true. I went to one of the finest churches in Colombo, Sri Lanka, heard the gospel day in and day out, but it was only in the 20th year of my life that I opened my eyes to see what a rotten sinner I was and what a wonderful savior the Lord Jesus was. I had a teacher in my school. Uh, my school has produced uh, four prime ministers, so I'm very proud about it. And uh, the current president, who is a Buddhist, sent all his three sons to my school. And uh, I had a teacher who had the habit of looking at us and with a bony finger, whenever we made life miserable for him, he would say, you miserable wretch. <laughs> now, of course, as students, we didn't like it. We got even with him. But, uh, you know, <laughs> after I left school, those words haunted me. And I suddenly realized that this teacher was biblically bang on. You and I are miserable wretches, desperately in need of the salvation that has been wonderfully, freely provided for us at the cross. So do you have saving faith? The second word of application, do you have a steadfast faith? You know something about Enoch? Tighten your seatbelt. He came to a living encounter with the living God at age 65 through the birth of a baby. You can read it for yourself, Genesis 5. And for the next 300 years, he chose to live for God. 
whether others live for God or not, Enoch determined in his heart that he was going to go all out for God till God took him home. 300 long years. And I say with tears in my eyes, there are many, many, many casualties in the Christian church. And I wish and I hope sincerely that all of you would not be a, a casualty. That all of you will run well and that you will finish well as a man and a woman of faith. Steadfast faith. And the third word that I want to leave with you as application, sanctifying faith. Abel is described as being a righteous man. So do you have sanctifying faith? Every day when you are tempted to be able to say no to temptation, every day to be able to say yes to God and to God's voice, and to live an uncompromising life that is sanctifying faith. You know, sometimes young people come and ask me, I've been in ministry for 35 years, and they come and ask me, what does it take to be in ministry? For me, the answer is very simple. Live a holy life. Everything else, beloved young people, is secondary. All the academics that you are going to get here is secondary to the reality that you've got to live a holy life so that God can take you, fill you with himself, and use you in unbelievable ways. You are wonderfully blessed and privileged because you have a great, great university like this where you can come to and learn. In 1973 in Sri Lanka, when the Lord called me to ministry, I had no place to go to, zero. We were just sent by our church into the streets and told to do ministry without any training, without any teaching. So I kind of envy all of you. Make the best use of the opportunity that God has provided for you in this wonderful institution. But more importantly, by God's grace, choose to live a sanctified life. Lord, we thank you that you have wonderfully provided all the resources that we need to live a life of faith. And we thank you for this amazing scripture. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. I look at this wonderful gathering of young people, and I uh, pray, Lord, that each one of them would truly exhibit saving faith, that there would be Holy Spirit conviction and conversion in each one of their hearts, and that they would become diligent students of Scripture so that your word would become a living reality in their life. And each day as they live their life out in a very hostile, dark, unbelieving world, that they would learn to hear your voice, to distinguish your voice above every other voice that they hear, and to be able to follow you, to march to your drumbeat, and to march under your banner. Help us, Lord. We can't make it on our own. We desperately need you. Empower us so that we will become men and women of faith. This we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now may the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion, friendship, guidance, protection of the blessed Holy Spirit rest and remain with us now and always. Amen.